Before I get to the message, uh, a few things I'd like to share with you about some of the things that have been going on around here, and it seemed appropriate to me to say thank you to quite a few people. I'm not going to mention any names because the reason why they do this is because they're serving the Lord, and and, uh, and God's doing great things, uh, just doing great things. And one of our core values here is to be a, a servant, and part of being a servant is not always having your name mentioned. And so I want to say thank you to the few individuals that laid all the carpeting in the sanctuary. Thank you the, to the individuals that spent time painting the tech booth, that spent time painting the baptistry, that spent time pulling up the carpet in the Haggai project. And I want to say thank you to the individuals who are spearheading the Haggai project. And yes, I know uh, it, we've been in here a while, and, and uh, the newness perhaps is, is wearing off a little bit, but uh, the people that spearheaded this project are continuing to keep us on course. And, and another thing that you need to know as a congregation is keeping us under budget significantly. And so we're grateful for that. Thankful for the ongoing ministry of all the adults that help out in our children's ministry. One of the things that we have going on here is a, a fantastic children's ministry that, that has bumps and bruises along the way, yet at the same... That came out wrong. You don't want to know that your kids are bumped and bruised. Uh, but... Uh, but as children go through life, there are different things that happen, and these adults are there to care for them. And I want to say thank you to the individuals that are helping out in our student ministry. Adam has a great group of folks, and, and they continue to help these students navigate through the rough waters of adolescence. And as I was gone last weekend at Wheaton, uh, and I didn't get to participate in, in the worship service here, one of the things that hit me as I was coming, as I was on the plane, was how grateful I am to this incredible staff I get to serve alongside. Uh, they do a great job of, of keeping my disorganization to a minimal uh, amount, and they do a great job of making sure that people have what they need, and this team means an awful lot to me. And lastly, I want to say thank you to all of you. Uh, for the ministry that you've had in my life, and thank you to the tech folks that uh, do their darndest to make sure that everything runs smoothly, and all these musicians, as I'm watching Jamal and, and Adam play, I'm going, these guys are really good, and I'm grateful for that. So, and thank you, Jesus Christ, right? He's the foundation of this church. We're going to talk about the foundation in just a little while, but, but we thank Jesus Christ for his foundation. And as we continue on in this Haggai series, we come to this place in Haggai chapter 2 where all of a sudden we begin to see this movement and, and there's something going on within the people. They're, they're thinking, man, we're doing all this work and yet nothing seems to be getting done. And God decides, and this is the way God operates, he decides to go deeper with people. He always wants to expose the internal to know, to know what's going on. When I was about seven or eight years old, I uh, lived, I'd been living in a neighborhood that was the ideal neighborhood for, for a child to grow up. All my friends, and there, there were children everywhere, same age, and, and we had, we would play kick the can, we'd play hide and go seek, we'd play kickball, basketball, baseball, football, whatever. We were constantly doing stuff. It was a great, great neighborhood. And one morning, I woke up and I ate breakfast, and, and I went over to my friend next door neighbor's house. Uh, his name was Daryl. Knocked on the door because Daryl and I were going to go out and ride our bikes or, or do something. I don't know what we were going to do. I knocked on the door. He answers the door, and he looks at me. He says, says John, I, uh, sorry, I, I can't go out. I can't play today because I'm sick. That's devastating for a little kid. So I walk away, mope home, get home. My mom says, why aren't you playing with Daryl? I said, well, Daryl's sick. 
And she said, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to wait for everybody else. And, and when they get up and, and get at them, we're going to go out and play. So I wait around, wait around. It's about 45 minutes later. The phone rings. My mom picks up the phone. She gets all excited. She looks, she looks at me, and then she looks at my sister, Lori, and she says, you guys need to get over to Daryl's house. And I said, but mom, he's sick. She says, trust me, you need to get over to Daryl's house soon. Had no idea what was going on. As I left our house, there was this processional of other neighborhood kids making our way to Daryl's house. And I told, my, I told my mom, I said, but he's sick. My mom says, you need to get over there. So as we joined this processional of about 10 children going into this house, Daryl's mom, Darlene, meets us at the door and says, Daryl has chicken pox, and I want you to get as close to Daryl as possible. And I sat there, and this stunned me. As a little kid, I'm thinking, aren't parents supposed to do all they can to avoid us getting sick? And my mom had said, you just need to go, you just need to be there. Darlene says, you need to get really close to him, feel free to hug him, do whatever, drink out of the same straw. And I am short-circuiting. I'm thinking, this is child abuse. (laughs) Couldn't believe it. But all the moms were organized on this and said, when one of our kids gets chicken pox, we're letting the neighborhood know so our children can get chicken pox and get that out of the way. It's a sick way to parent, by the way. <laughs> it really is. But the reason why I bring this up is because in this passage that we look at in Haggai chapter 2, and I invite you to, invite you to go there, we're going to be looking at verses 10 to 9, God, God gets upset with the people about the fact that they were spreading defilement among one another. This virus had set in that nobody saw on the surface. No one could see the virus, but there was a sickness that was being spread. And the reason why things were so difficult for the people was because they weren't taking care of what was going on inside. In essence, they had spiritual chickenpox, and it was spreading everywhere. And yes, I know that's a weak analogy, but I think, I, know, I think you understand what I'm driving at here. Is they were spreading this disease, for lack of a better word, and it was causing problems. We pick it up in verse 10 of Haggai chapter 2. On the 24th day of this ninth month in the second year of King Darius, the word of Yahweh came to the prophet Haggai. This is what Yahweh Almighty says, ask the priest what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment and their fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest answered, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people that and this nation in my sight, declares Yahweh, whatever, listen very carefully to this, whatever they do and whatever they offer, there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this, to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in Yahweh's temple. 
When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares Yahweh. From this day on, from the 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of Yahweh's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there any seed left in the barn until now? The vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. And from this day on, I will bless you. Father, we pray now, as we come into this time of looking at your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we could see. Open our ears that we can hear. Open our minds that we can understand. Open our hearts that we would be transformed. And Lord, may no one hear anything that I say, but may they only hear what it is that you want them to hear. And that you would go do the deep work in our lives. That you would rain down on us. So that we could see your majesty. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to penetrate into those deep, dark places of our lives. That we like to keep hidden. And allow you, we ask you, to do the work that only you can do. And that you would restore each and every one of us. Just as you restored the people back in Haggai's day. Lord, may you be lifted up. May you be the one who receives all glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in Haggai's day, they had this issue, and they were continuing to do this work. We're a few months into the project in Haggai's day, and, and things, were, things were struggling, and, and yet they kept at it. And then Haggai has another vision. He has another word come from the Lord. And we read that it happens on the 24th day of the ninth month. And in verse 11 it says this, This is what Yahweh Almighty says, Ask the priest what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. God's people are always called to be different. It's interesting that he addresses this to the people, but not just all the people, but he addresses it to the priests. The priests understood what it meant to be consecrated. The priests understood all the rules, all the things that were required for consecration to take place. And the reason why things were to be consecrated, and I'll throw the definition up there on the screen, is this, to consecrate something means to set it apart to the service of a deity. All these other pagan religions also consecrated things that that were dedicated to the service of a deity. For Christ followers, for God-fearing people, for, for the Israelites, they were to be consecrated. And it's interesting that the priests are the ones chosen. The priests were consecrated. They were set apart. The people went to the priests to get all types of, of matters taken care of. From mildew in your house to the right clothing to wear to the right food to eat and things like that. They understood what it meant to be consecrated. They understood what it meant to be set apart. And he says this in verse, in verse 12, he says, If someone carries consecrated meat, what does that meat? That meat is set aside for an offering. 
And so they would get this meat, they would consecrate it to the Lord, but the thing was, as they were walking back to make the sacrifice, as they were walking to the place where they made the sacrifice, they had to be incredibly careful that it did not touch much else at all. It would be like going to Star Market. You go to their butcher shop. They have a great butcher shop there. You go and you say, I would like a ribeye steak, and that sounds really good right now. You have a ribeye steak... And, and they, they slice it up for you. They hand it to you. And you can ask Mark Rollins. You're not going to walk the rest of your grocery store experience with a one, two, three pound ribeye steak in your hand without it being covered up. You could. I think it would be a little bit of a different experience for your shopping. I think people would freak out about that. But what do they do? They wrap it up. The reason why they wrap it up is to keep it fresh, to keep it set apart. So these people would get this, they would put it in the fold of their garment just, just so it could be separated because God always receives top billing. You're different not just for the sake of being different, you're different because God deserves your very best. He wants His people to be set apart. And so the people understand that. They understand their consecration. And notice the list of food items that he gives there. These are all common food items. Wine, olive oil, or other food, bread, or stew. All these common things, people knew, they understood that. The priest said, if it touches those things, those things don't become consecrated. That meat needs to continue to be consecrated. It needs to be set apart. But then Haggai, or I should say God, through Haggai, flips the table. The people understood they were to be different. The people understood they were to be set apart. But here's the problem. The people became indistinguishable. Look at verse 13. Then Haggai said, If a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation. Real quick reminder, when we first started this this Haggai series, we ran into this in Haggai chapter 1, where God calls his people this people. He doesn't say my people. He doesn't say my nation. He says this people, this nation. When God calls his people this people, he know, it is to communicate to us they are not living up to what they're supposed to be about. God is not happy. He's not pleased with what's going on. It's difficult for them to get this project done because of this very issue. So it is with this people and this nation in my sight. Another important thing to keep in mind is he sees what's going on. We can sit there and think that we can hide all we want, but God sees what's going on. And then the powerful words. Whatever they do, And whatever they offer there is defiled. Imagine that. You are are to be set apart for God. You look the part. The people look the part. They were doing what God asked them to do, but they were only allowing it to happen at a surface level. God wants our hearts. God wants what's inside us. God came to restore us entirely. 
And when we go in and we think that we can game play with God, we are the ones who come out the losers. And that's what's going on here with the people. They're playing games with God. They're thinking, well, we can go ahead and do whatever we want as long as we look the part. God's people were to be different. They were to be distinctly different. But now God's people are completely indistinguishable. We've talked about this multiple times. One of the issues, for one of the problems that, that the body of Christ, that Christ followers continue to have in this world in making an impact, is so often people do not see any distinguishing characteristics between a non-Christ follower and a Christ follower. The same issue was happening back in Haggai's day. Granted, they didn't know Christ, but they knew about God. They knew who He was, and they were to live that out differently. That's why God puts in all these different things in place so that the people can look different and not just look different. They can be different. Is your life any different? than those who don't know Jesus Christ. If someone were to come up to a neighbor or a friend of yours and say, hey, did you know that so-and-so is a Christ follower? Would your neighbor look at them shocked because they did not see a difference in your life? That's what's going on here with Haggai. There's no difference whatsoever. God's people had become indistinguishable. We have the gift of life. We have everything that we need. God said to the people back in Genesis, He says, I want you to be distinctly different. Why? So that the whole world can know that I am the one true God. And over the centuries, over the course of the thousands of years, God's people became indistinguishable. And in the process, God gets put off to the side. Instead of receiving top billing, He just becomes some afterthought. Folks, because of what Jesus Christ did for us right now, those of us that know Jesus Christ, we have within us the very gift of life. And what ends up happening as we get older, and this is one thing that I'm wrestling through in my life right now, is I know the right words to say. I know the right things to do. And yet there are times in my life when my insides... When my motivations are so out of whack, it's not even funny. We are pretty good at playing games with God. And we don't think it makes that much of a difference. I need two volunteers. Heidi, can you go get those things for me? I need two volunteers. This is going to be a painless experience, I promise you. Just two volunteers. Any, Jamal, thank you. I appreciate that. Need one more. Parks, why am I? Come on, Parks. Okay? So here's the deal. Okay? So it's painless. I promise it's painless. It's going to be a fun experience. You're going to need to be able to see this. Okay? Um, here we go. So uh, Jamal, one of our elders. Parks, just an incredible good friend and, and a great guy. Helps out in so many different ways here. Now, you're going to, each one of you, so you'll notice we have two identically wrapped gifts. All right? Identically wrapped gifts. You can tell that mom bought this for a child's birthday. Um, that's a good thing. 
So, Parks, because you're younger than Jamal, I'm going to let Jamal pick. All right? So, Jamal, you age before beauty. That's exactly right. So, Jamal, pick one of these gifts. Just pick one of the gifts. Okay, there we go. Okay, so there you go. Okay, now, it should feel a little cold. Does it feel cold? Good. All right, so I want you to notice the weight of each one of them. Are they comparable? Jamal, grab the other one as well. Feel it. They should be comparable in weight. They feel about the same weight? You're good there? Okay. Oh, my goodness, Jamal. Just go with it. Just, just, just go with it. Okay, so here we go. So now, Park, since he got to pick first, Parks, you're going to open your gift first. Now remember, we have the gift of life within us. We can play games really well. But what ends up happening when we play games with God, sometimes that gift gets not so gifty anymore. So Parks, open yours up real quickly. Make it quick. It's not going to blow up. It's, it's going to be fine. It doesn't, I promise you, it doesn't smell. Just open it quickly. Jamal, open yours up as well too, but don't completely open it until until Parks un- gets his uh, gets his gift. Un- okay, so all right, so open that up, Parks. Open that up. Just drop the paper. We'll take care of it later. Okay. All right. So here we go. What do you got in there? Okay, you have a bunch of newspaper in there, right? Okay. So what? Let's see what this is. Okay. So you've got a bunch of newspaper in here. I want you to notice this. You also have something else in there. Okay, so you have a bunch of newspaper in there, and what else do you have in there? You have a T-bone steak from Star Market. You have a T-bone steak from Star Market. Jamal, I think you know what's about to happen. Okay, so, now remember, you, you made the decision, okay? You have a T-bone steak, okay? It's solid, good. Jamal, what's in your bag, or in in your gift? You have a cord. Okay, that might tell you something right there. So you have a cord. What else do you have in there? You have anything else of value? And a bunch of rocks. Okay, so, uh, all right, so you have a cord, and this cord, you would think when you see the cord that it's going to go to something. The cord goes to nothing. Jamal, enjoy your electric cord and four rocks. All right. So, all right. So, now, why am I doing this? Okay, first off, give it up for these two guys. Enjoy the steak, all right? So, enjoy the steak. We play games with God really well. We can look the part. We can look the part really well. But God knows what's inside us. At times, at times, what's inside us isn't all that great. But we can play the game. We can play it really well. But God desires us to be true from the inside out. I invite you in your Bibles to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Because we have this gift within us. And we have a responsibility to spread life. And what ends up happening is so many times we get wrapped up and we don't think it's that big of a deal. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul reminds the people what they are to be about. 
But thanks be to God, starting in verse 14, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us, and notice this, to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Paul says this, we speak about Jesus Christ from the sincerity of our heart because he's given us this life. We present life to others. As you look into the internal workings of our life, you see that we are true. We are consistent with who he is. It's not a game that we're playing with God. Folks, we are called by God to spread the aroma of Christ. And when we play games, what we spread is the aroma of death. Are you playing games with God? Are you playing games with the one who has set you free? With the one who has said, I came to give you life. The people were going through all the motions. The people had the motions down really well. But they were missing out. When we are having a stinky life, it spreads to others. Just like that chicken pox spread to me when I was seven or eight years old. Back to Haggai. Being indistinguishable leads to being disappointed. Verse 15, now give careful thought to this day. From from this day on, consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in Yahweh's temple. We've heard this phrase before, consider your ways. Consider carefully your ways. God, again, is saying, take a look at what's going on in your life. Go down to verse seven, 17, I'm sorry. He said, I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail. God was pouring down on these folks as they look at their history. He was pouring down on these three things, blight, mildew, and hail. What, why is he focused in on that? It's because the people of God knew this. When any one of these three things happened, it means that we, God is not happy with us. In essence, they're curses from God. And the whole purpose of the curses from God, we find this out at the end of verse 17, is this, I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not, you did not return to me. God wants our attention all the time. Are there hardships going on in your life right now? Perhaps God is saying, hey, remember me? Remember me? Remember this one that, 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 that loves you? Remember this one that carries you? Remember this one that's there for you all the time, and yet you're playing games with me, and things aren't going the way that they're supposed to be going? Because you're out of step with me? His whole motivation is to bring us back to himself. And that's why God says to them, give careful thought to your ways. 
God is constantly inviting us to consider what's going on in our lives, to take a look at what's going on in our lives. And so often we look at it and we say, we can manage this. And it continues to get worse and worse and worse. And the entire time God is saying, return to me, return to me, return to me. Is today the day that you return to him? It's today the day that you say, I'm done playing games. I'm returning to you. Has has disappointment mounted so much in your life that it's hard to keep going? God says, return to me. Give careful thoughts to your ways. Verse 19, is there any seed left in the barn? Until now the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. What ends up happening is the people realize that God cares for them so much that he wants the very best for them. And God says, as you turn back to me, as you become more dedicated to me, I have already been dedicated to you. Look at the list that he gives them there. Pomegranates were a sign of abundance. What he's saying is, I'm going to pour out the blessing on you. Now hear me clearly, I I am not a health and wealth gospel, prosperity gospel person. But I do know this, when we're walking in line with God, whatever comes, when we're walking in line with Christ, whatever comes our way, there is a peace that transforms understanding. There's a strength to keep going. We have the ability to not give up. From this day on, I will bless you. He says, take a look at the foundation. When the foundation of Yahweh's temple was, was laid, and he's inviting them back to the original foundation. God wants to continue building in our lives. These people are rebuilding this temple, and they're laying a new foundation on the old foundation. The, the foundation that God continues to care for people all throughout history. And we get to participate in continuing to build on that foundation of Him caring for us in so many ways. And as we take those steps of faith in our life, as we take those steps of faith saying, God, I'm trusting you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to follow you. I'm scared to do this. God says, I've got you. I have you right where I need you to be. And as we take those steps of faith, The Lord blesses us with his presence. Because that's what happens here. He says, from this day on, I will bless you. It's scary to take those steps. It's scary to take, allow God to take a look at what's going on in our lives and come to understand that he has come to make us whole again. In your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 5 and we're going to wrap up with this. It's interesting that God gives this, gives this directive earlier and he asks the priests about what can you spread to one another? What can you pass on to one another? You, can't, you, cannot, you cannot spread holiness to another person by just simply touching them. You, you can spread the, the ugliness by, by coming in contact with them. But there's only one who when he made contact with people and brushed up against them, there's only one who did that, and their lives were restored. Picking it up in Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21, when Jesus 
had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her uh, so that she will be healed and lived. So Jesus went with him. So Jesus is walking through this crowd of people. A large crowd followed him. I should say he's leading this large crowd of people. Followed, and they pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. She understood disappointment. She understood that nobody could help her. Nobody could take care of her. For 12 years, any time she went out of the house, she had to say, unclean, unclean, so people would part their ways so she could make it from point A to point B. Disappointment mounts. In verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd. Now keep in mind, she has to maneuver through the crowd. And I don't think she's saying unclean, unclean. She's sneaking her way through. And she's bumping up against people. These people now, according to what Haggai 2 says, these people are now defiled. Because she's unclean. But she makes her way to Jesus. She came up behind him and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And it's interesting in verse 30 what happens here. At once, Jesus realized what? That power had gone out from him. This is one of the few miracles where Jesus says, I felt something come out of me. He turned around in the the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? And I love the disciples here. You see the people crowding against against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask what touched me. The disciples are worried about getting to see this daughter. They don't really want to spend time. They don't want to worry about what's going on right now. Verse 32, But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. She's trembling with fear because now that, now that the story comes out, everybody that bumped up against her is defiled, is, is, is unclean. And you would expect, and part of her fear is, I really messed up here. Verse 34, Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Haggai chapter 2, when these people were bumping up against things, their defilement transferred over. Haggai chapter 2 reminds us that we're called to be set apart. There is only one person that can set anyone apart, and that's Jesus Christ. And when he touches people's lives, their defilement is no longer defilement. It becomes holiness. It becomes, in his presence, perfect and restored. I invite you this morning to stop playing games with God. And to take those steps of faith and touch Jesus Christ's cloak and experience the cleansing that only He can give.
He restores relationships. He restores our pains. He restores us completely. And he reminds us that he's there all the time. The people in Haggai's day thought they were taking on a temple restoration. But what they were taking on was a restoration of themselves. As we continue this Haggai project here, we can think that it's only a restoration of the sanctuary. But it's really a restoration of ourselves. Would you join me and allow Jesus Christ to do the restoring that He wants to do in my life, in your life, in all our lives so that we can be His people distinguishably different for His glory, not ours. Father, we pray now as we consider these words, we ask that You would help us let go And by letting go, I mean letting go of the game playing. Lord, we have within us the gift of life. And Lord, we package it up so often and we hide and we we think that we can play the game and yet when those layers of packaging get removed, we realize that we have become a hollow shell. We've become a power cord that's not connected anymore. Have mercy on us. And Lord, I pray as we take steps of faith that we would know that you are the one motivating us to take those steps of faith. To be restored. Lord, we pray that you'd restore our relationships. We pray that you'd restore our lives in such a way that your presence dwells and people can say, wow, look what's going on in that person's life. Look what's going on in the people's lives of FBC Salinas. Lord, do the work. We long to be blessed by you because you are a generous God who's always good, always kind, always working. And we pray that we not forget that. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll continue to do the work through the power of your Holy Spirit and that these gifts that we have would be drawn out to bring glory to you. Oh, Lord, forgive us for playing games with you. And, oh, Lord, we pray that you'll continue the restoration project in our lives. And we thank you that it's complete because of Jesus Christ. May we live this out for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand, and as we stand and sing a couple more songs, I know it's a little bit late, but I want you to, I want you to understand that, that if you don't know Christ, or you've been playing games with Him and you want to get things right, perhaps as we sing these songs, God will move in such a way that you just give it up to Him and become the people that He knows that we are. So let's sing these songs with great vigor.